Well, good morning. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. I'm glad that we can be together this morning to worship God. Before we begin, uh, just a few brief announcements about things happening in the life of our church. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we did a summer cookout at the Greco's. We're going to do another one of those um, on Wednesday, August 10th, and this one will be at uh, the, uh, the Shepherd's Home, which is also on Gunnison, which is a, just a block south of Ainsley where the, the Greco's live. So real close by. So it'll be August 10th at 6.30 p.m. Feel free to bring a food or, or just come and enjoy the fellowship and the time together. Also, uh, just to point out the, women, uh, the women's Bible study, they're doing some meetups this summer, and so they meet on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. at Wells Park. So I just wanted you to be aware of that um, as you consider your week. Well, God calls us out of darkness. He calls us out of sin and rebellion to come and to worship him. And so before we begin, let's just take a moment of pause. call to worship today is from Psalm 63. Will you stand with us and we'll all sing it together.
God has gathered us by his grace and by his word. Let's take a moment to come together in prayer. Gracious and holy God, we come into your presence this morning to worship you and to give thanks for you, give thanks to you for your great works of creation and of redemption. We gather as a people who have been called out by your grace and by your truth, a people who have tasted and seen that you are good. Heavenly Father, we marvel at your holiness and at your purity, and we give you thanks for drawing us to yourself in your steadfast love. We marvel at your gospel, Lord God, which tells us that while we were still weak, Christ rescued us. And for this, we, we come before you and we give you thanks. While we take this time, Lord God, to fix our hearts and our minds on you, we can often feel burdened uh, by our mistakes, by our unholiness, or by the ways that we have ran away from you in our rebellion. Lord God, we, we all come before you as a congregation of believers with their own unique problems, uh, people with their, with their own unique sins and weariness and our weaknesses. You know, Lord, we come before you as a people who don't always have the right answers. And whatever we may be bringing in with us this morning, Lord God, we ask that by your word and by your spirit, you would equip us to grow in the grace of Christ. We confess that it is by your grace that we are brought near to you and not by our own work. We ask that your spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth, would continue to bear witness with our spirit that we have been adopted as sons and daughters. We claim the redeeming work of Christ over our lives and over our church, which proclaims that there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. For these things, Lord God, we give you thanks and we worship you. We ask that you would help us to be a people who abide in the truth as your word is truth. We give you thanks, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, at this time, the children's worship can be dismissed to uh, meet Belinda downstairs. We turn now to our time of confession and assurance. This is the time for us to bring our sin and our need before God, and also, and very importantly, to rest in the grace of Christ that is offered to us in the gospel. We'll do this together and then also have a time of silent prayer.
personal confession. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. take a moment of silent personal confession. Heavenly Father, it is because of the great love that you have shown us in Christ that we are not consumed. We give you thanks that your mercies and compassions are new every morning. And I pray that by your word and by your spirit, you would remind all of us that in Christ there is no condemnation. We give you thanks and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time, if you will stand with me, we'll read our words of assurance from Psalm 13 together. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he dealt bountifully with me. Well, as God has called us and welcomed us into his presence for his glory and for our good, let's take a moment to welcome one another.
Good morning. Our uh, Old Testament lesson today is from Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 9. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This morning's gospel lesson is from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Shalom fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good to be here with you this morning. We continue our uh, summer series in the Psalms, and today we'll look at Psalm 63. Uh, so. Feel free to turn with me. Uh, you're welcome to follow in your order of worship or even just listen as I read. This is Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth, and they shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for, the, for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I ask that you would just use this word that we've read and heard together. You would use it, and by the power of your spirit, to, to, to use it to speak to us again. 
to lead us to Jesus, that you would show us his steadfast love, and as a people, you would change us by it. I pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this psalm, it begins with a heading that stands out among other psalm headings. This is a heading that I, I didn't even read for you all, but I'll, I'll read it again. Is that It says that this was a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So when, when was David in the wilderness of Judah? Well, you may have noticed that this is a familiar context for several of the psalms that we've been looking at exploring this summer. Psalms 3 and 4 both put us in the wilderness with David on the run. And being on the run, when David fled from Jerusalem, all of the family that left with him, all of the servants of the soldiers that left with him, they passed in front of him. And the Levites did too, the the priest. And they did it carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, it's uh, an important piece of worship furniture that was in the sanctuary. It was a token, a token of, of the presence of God with his people. It represented God's presence with his people. So, so naturally, the priest thought that David would surely want that to go with him into the wilderness. But David says, turn around and take it back to the city. And this is what he said to them. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he'll bring me back and he'll let me see it in Jerusalem. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, then behold, here I am. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. You see, this is a guy who knows. This is a guy who knows that the token of God's presence is not nearly as important as the actual presence of God himself. David doesn't care about the furniture. And what he needs, what he wants is God himself. I mean, all of David's skill, all of his smarts, all of his cunning, all of his talent, which is formidable and abundant, all of that stuff had failed him and life was unraveling. Things were falling apart. And so instead of doubling down on that stuff again, David, he starts leaning into the only reality that matters. He leans into God. He rests in God. I mean, listen to what David says to God. He says, my soul thirsts for you and my flesh faints for you. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. My soul clings to you. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. I mean, Psalm 63 is one of only a small handful of psalms that express this depth of devotion. And one scholar, he puts it this way. He says that the whole spirit and the soul of the book of Psalms is contracted into this psalm, Psalm 63. And I think you and I, think you and I can learn from it. In whatever wilderness we find ourselves, either now or in the future, at the end of whatever resources that we might have, no matter how great they are, this is a psalm of trust, and it falls into two parts. There's this hunger and fear, and then there's this feast and safety. And so David begins with the hunger, and he begins with the fear. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David is in the wilderness, but he is not there for a day hike. He is not there to take a spiritual retreat. He is running for his life. In verse 9, it gives a hint when he says, those who seek to destroy my life. And perhaps this seems uh, appalling or striking, right? He's the king. And why is he on the run out in the wilderness? Well, the sad and the tragic reality is that his son, and in many ways his favorite son, 
the son he loved most, Absalom, it turned on him and betrayed him. And Absalom, he incites a coup to take his throne, and David flees for his life. And if that isn't shameful enough, David, in a sense, he loses his kingdom, he loses his family, he lost his people, and is on the run with a few loyal followers. And of course he's on the run because his very life is in danger. David is in a bad place, and I think it's worth entertaining, it's worth engaging what David felt in this time. And on the surface, it's pretty dark. It's pretty agonizing to linger in the family betrayal, right? To, to linger in the loss of kingship and all that comes with it. Or even, as he alludes to in verse 2, the loss of the presence of God in his sanctuary. To be able to see and smell and actively participate in the worship of God. To take him in his glory and presence in the physical sanctuary. Right? These are striking and profound losses. But it's even worse than that. Because the origins and the roots of what, da- what brought David to this predicament, they go back years before this time when David set his desire towards Bathsheba. Right? She was married and he took her. And more than that, th- that he had her husband murdered, who was one of his most trusted military officers. And yes, part of the story is that David does repent, and he does turn away from his dark turn, and he was forgiven. But in the story, Nathan, the prophet, he comes to him and he says, yes, you are forgiven, but the sword will never depart from your house. Nathan is saying to David, yes, God has forgiven you, David, but I want you to know you have sown seeds in your family You have poisoned your family by sowing seeds of lust and bitterness and jealousy, seeds of distrust, and the sword will never depart from your house. So what David knows while he's on the run is that Absalom's rebellion, his pride, his bitterness, his anger, his hostility, the murder of his brother, the seeking to murder his father, all of it, every last bit of of it is the fruit of David's sin. And so part of the agony and what I imagine is a deep shame, that part of why he is on the run from his very own flesh and blood is in part a direct result of the choices that David made. He's lost his kingdom, he lost his people, He lost his family, he's about to lose his life, and he has to live with the fact it's because he failed as a king, abusing his power. He failed as a man, as a father, he failed in every way. He is out in the wilderness, and he's being hunted largely because of his own sins. And if you read about this in 2 Samuel 17, 18, 19, you'll see that he's, he's out of sorts, right? He, he, at one point, he has to be rebuked by Joab. He's depressed. He's barely holding it together. So, friends, this, this is the backdrop of our text. And it's important to know as we engage and we take in David's words in Psalm 63, because when you get to verse 11, there is a climax that is astounding. And it's only astounding if we take in where David has been and the terrain that his soul has had to navigate to say that the king shall rejoice in God. And so I think it's worth people like us asking ourselves, what do we do when we are in some kind of wilderness, whatever that wilderness might look like? It takes on a lot of different looks in our lives over over the years, right? Our our health fails. Our job prospects look bad. Or maybe we have experienced the betrayal of of a loved one, or maybe we have been the betrayers. Or maybe there is a relationship that has been meaningful to us that is thinning out and it's falling away. Or maybe we just can't seem to make the pieces of our lives come together. And it's getting under your skin because you are so thoughtful, you're so skilled, you're so sharp, and it it just won't work no matter what I do. What do people like us do in places like this? Well, I ask that question to highlight the, the really profound 
and holy subversiveness of what David does in that moment. David's life unravels, and he starts singing a love song to God. <laughs> and that's what this is. As David puts it in verse 2, I behold you in all of your power. I behold you in all of your glory. And then David begins to give words to this deep affection that comes up in him. And in verse 3, he just comes out and he says it. He says, God, your steadfast love to me is better than life. Friends, listen to that. He doesn't just say that this is one of several good things in my life. He doesn't say that it is the best thing in his life. David says, God, your love for me is better than life. And what I want to say is that part of you is, is that part of you and I growing up in our faith is believing that that is true to every part of who we are. I love that story where, where Jesus meets the woman at the well in John 4, the Samaritan woman. You know, she sees Jesus and she knows that he's got something, right? She's not sure exactly what it is, but he's got it. And she wants to talk some theology with Jesus, but Jesus isn't having any of that. He just says to her, listen, listen, if you drink the water that I give to you, you'll never be thirsty again. I mean, this is important. I mean, Jesus doesn't say, look, if you drink the water I give to you, everything in your life is going to be fine from that point on. Jesus does not say to her, if you drink the water that I give to you, nothing bad will ever happen to you again. He does not say that. He says something so much better than that. He says, I can give you something that will satisfy you forever, no matter what happens to you, and no matter what mess you find yourself in. And of course, what he's offering her is himself. He offers her what David calls in our psalm his steadfast love. And friends, I think we have to take Jesus very seriously here, even the most skeptical among us. I think we have to take this seriously and even try it on and find if it's true. Because this is the, an ultimate claim, right, that if there ever was one, right? Jesus is saying that the unending, the steadfast, faithful love that he offers to us is actually what human beings have been made for. It's what every human heart has been made for. And Jesus is saying that he is the one thing in life that rightly orders all other things in our lives. He is the one thing in our life that makes sense out of the other things in our lives. The good stuff, the bad stuff, the ordinary stuff, all of it, right? He is the one with whom everything coheres and in whom everything holds together. Friends, in the way that we run empty in our lives, in the ways that every single one of us faces our own need, our own limitations, and we try in vain to fill the emptiness with everything around us, but it can only be filled with the infinite. Now here's what Jesus is saying to her, to you and to me. I'm holding this out for you to take. The water that, that you were created to, to drink forever, it's his life for ours. It's his life for the life of the world. And you know, we know it, right, don't we? <laughs> Through experience. Right? If we don't know it yet, if we don't know right now sitting here, we'll know it eventually, right? That no human person gets a pass on this. Right? We know from experience that staking our lives and our identities and our happiness on things that are less than infinite always leaves us thirsty and unsatisfied in the end. And it's because things that are less than infinite, they, they cannot hold our humanness. They cannot hold the weight of all of the losses and the pain and the contingencies that, that pile up against us. No job can ever do that. No relationship can ever do that. No amount of physical fitness can do that. No accomplishment can do that. No bank account balance can do that, right? And David knew this. The steadfast love of God was all that he had. 
out there in the wilderness. It was all that he had. And so he sang this song to say he knows that it is more than enough. In verse 4, he says, I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. And this is where the psalm turns towards the feast. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. I will praise you with joyful lips. I mean, this is amazing. David is out in the wilderness, and he has absolutely nothing. But for David, now it's like the table is spread, and he is sitting down to a feast. He says, my soul is satisfied. I mean, what would it be like to say that, to to really think everything about who I am is totally satisfied? What would it be like? He says he's satisfied when he remembers God on his bed, when he meditates on him during the watches of the night. I mean, these are captivating images. That even though David is out sleeping in the wilderness, that he's defenseless and he's exposed and he's vulnerable every single night. For David, (laughs) for David, it's like he's sleeping in a fortress with walls so thick no one could get through. Because when the sun sets on the horizon and the darkness begins to creep across the desolate wilderness, for David, It's just the shadow of God's wing. It's not the darkness out here, God. (laughs) It's you. It's you hovering over me, and I will sing songs of joy. And that is the kind of satisfaction, that is the kind of peace that believing and resting in God's love will give to people like you and me. And David knows that if the God of justice hovers over him, that he has nothing to fear, even if it means his life, even if there are those that seek to destroy his life. He says, the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exalt. And that's the song, right? From hunger to feast and from fear to safety. And there's a word for what David is doing here, and it will surprise exactly zero of us. What David is doing is worship. He's worshiping. And worship is the proper response of men and women who have come to believe that despite the fact that they are at the end of their rope and all their formidable skills and talents and abilities have have not come through again, They're in the wilderness. Worship is what happens when people realize that God's steadfast love for them and Jesus is better than life. That it is more than enough. So friends, it's good for us to hear that we simply cannot live without worship. And in particular, this kind of worship that David is doing, which is is adoration, right? We have to do this together and with our families, and we have to do this in our relationship and even as individuals, right? And David knew, he knew that we needed to do this, and so God gives us his song so that we can learn from it. And I want you to know that the church has found through her experiences, the church has found again and again and again that we do this when we worship, when we worship. He changes us in it. It's not magic. It's the normal means by which God does this transformative work. And it's awesome. (laughs) When we worship, when we order ourselves around the steadfast love of God in Jesus, the wilderness can begin to look like a feast table. And the darkness can begin to feel like the shadow of God's wing. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, in whatever place we find ourselves this morning, at home in our sanctuaries, out in the wilderness on the run, wherever we are, Lord, would you strengthen us, strengthen our understanding of just how much we are loved. And Father, do this so that when we are at the end of our resources and they have not done what we hoped they would do, Strengthen us with your steadfast love so that we can rest in the shadow of your wing 
and be filled up with joy and life. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Will you please stand with us? We'll sing together. Son. We praise you for doing all the work required for us to be forgiven and restored, that we may be with you always to the end of time. It is good and right for us to join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. This table that Jesus invites us to, it uh, provokes in us the question, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? The longing that you hold, the, the ache that won't let you sleep well at night, right? The, the striving after with all of our formidable resources, the, the real need for connection with God and others has met all of your failings, all of the limitations, all of our sin. 
Friends, this table that, that Jesus has, has set for us is a meal that meets all of those things. It meets and fills us up. It quenches the thirst. It satisfies the hunger. It is food for us in the really good times. And it is nourishment when we find ourselves in the wilderness. And of course, this meal, this meal that only Jesus can offer to us is himself. <laughs> it is his life for you and me, his sacrifice that covers all of our sin. And we are invited to take in, to, to take in the steadfast love of God, making us whole in the death and the resurrection of Christ. So if you believe that, if you have in, in repentance and faith come to find your rest in the reality, in the reality of the resurrection this morning, then come and eat and drink in faith. Father, thank you for this table. We pray that you would set it apart from a common use to a sacred and holy one. That you would come and by your spirit meet us and nourish us in our faith through the bread and wine. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in, in, do this in remembrance of me. <laughs> In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink, do so in remembrance of me. As often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we'll proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Well, I'm going to invite the servers to come forward to the altar here. As they're doing that, I just want to remind you that, to, that when we receive the elements, we'll come down the center aisles. We'll receive both the bread and the wine. Uh, we'll go back on the sides and then hold the elements until we've all been served that we can eat and drink as one family. Uh, if you're not coming forward to, to, to receive communion, but you'd like to come forward, uh, we'll, we'll offer a blessing for you. If you just come to my row and put your hand across your chest, I'll offer a, a prayer and a blessing for you. Let's come now to the table.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Father, we are grateful that you meet us in all of the places that we are, that you meet us with your grace and your mercy, that you've given our, your life for our, for, our, for our sin, that you've given your life and you've raised us up to new life again. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together for both our response to this table, prayer and song. Lord Jesus Christ, you have promised rest to all those who trust in you. By your spirit, soften our hearts that we may hear your voice, turn to you with all our worries, and worship you alone as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, before we begin um, the giving of our gifts and offerings to God, I want to just a, a brief note. There, there is no um, fellowship time because of the rain, the weather outside. So we're not going to meet out at uh, where we normally do at McPherson. But we'll have, uh, the rumor is that we're going to have some coffee still. So you can, I think that'll be out in the foyer area on, on the way. Um, so if you'd like that still, feel free to take some for coffee. Well, um, as we move now to a time of worship and giving, we're, we're reminded that it is out of God's generosity that we ourselves respond in faith and in the giving of our gifts and offerings to him. So I'll have the, the servers come forward as we um, give our offerings and tithes. stand and join us for the doxology.
of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen. Mm -hmm.